Welcome to the EchoCast, a podcast about video game news, speculation, and reviews. I am your host, Morgan, aka Bond Diesel, and this week we'll be talking about EA splitting up their studios, new Starfield details, the FTC versus Microsoft battle begins, and much more. A few things before we get started. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Please subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and comment with your thoughts, questions for next week, or just to say hello. A special thank you to all of the patrons, including producer-level members, Hassan and Horseman, supporter-level members, PK, The Dawn, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronix, as well as viewer-level member, Zenra. If you're interested in supporting the podcast and getting ad-free episodes for as little as $1 per month, please check out patreon.com slash Diesel. Gaming news. This week, I believe I have 12 topics. We'll see if that's right. I did not count this week on accident. EA splits up sports and entertainment. So we had an announcement this week. Uh, that was kind of interesting and may have some fairly uh, deep impacts on the future of EA. Uh, and I'm not really sure if it's in a good or a bad way. So what we found out is that EA Sports, which I think has been kind of its own label for a while, at least in name, uh, is now being split off completely. And the rest of the studios under EA that are not working on sport games will be EA Entertainment. Uh, The main studio I'm aware of under EA Sports is actually EA Tiburon. That's who makes uh, the Madden games and will now be making the college football games again as well. I am curious to how this connects to some other stuff that we've heard about EA recently. We've seen um, chatter about how Bioware has dropped their Starfield MMO. Uh, their Starfield, their Star Wars MMO, and that's going to a third-party studio, not directly affiliated with EA. I believe it's Broadsword. Um, we've also heard things uh, such as uh, EA, you know, really trying to focus back in on doing some good single-player experiences and things like that. Now, that is notable because they, you know, even as recently as just a few years ago, we're really talking a lot about how single player experiences were not viable in the current gaming market uh, and really making a push towards live service games and multiplayer games and co-op games. And that gained them some victories when you look at games like Apex Legends and no one wants to admit it, but the Battlefield games have done well despite rough releases. Uh, and I really think that it's a stronger thing for them than we wanted uh, maybe to admit, but it, that's because of failures, you know, especially with Bioware, with Ma- Mass Effect Andromeda, with, um, you know, Anthem being probably the worst one. Uh, but then you look at games too, like the Battlefront games that came out that for all intents and purposes, I'm under the impression were really good games, but just weren't handled very well, weren't big enough. Uh, you even look at a game like Battlefield 5 uh, and Battlefield 1, which I believe 1 got plenty of content. I actually played quite a bit of that. Uh, and 5 straight up was supposed to get like Pacific Theater, World War II stuff was supposed to get like the launch of Battlefield 5 only had like early war tanks and stuff like that. Um, I would have to go back and look, but I don't believe that they ever released like late war tech and stuff like that in Battlefield 5, or at least uh, not in, a, in as big of a way as we would have expected. And so I'm, I'm, you know, a little miffed, a little confused, a little surprised that we, um, you know, haven't, you know, seen this, this move sooner. And what I think that we're seeing and what I think that uh, is going to be evidenced and that we're going to uh, kind of see here in the next few years is that it seems like EA is given another shot to the single player thing. 
we've seen them go all in with a you know like respawn uh respawn we found out recently was like 10 months into titanfall 3 and then that got turned into apex legends uh you know for those of us who really enjoy the titanfall games and enjoy being a pilot and playing through that story mission uh you know mission stuff and i personally prefer the multiplayer of titanfall to apex legends but obviously not enough people agreed and so we you know find ourselves in the situation where uh for better or worse we're seeing ea dive back into the single player thing uh you know we've seen it with jedi survivor from respawn we're seeing a what appears to be a new dedication to single player games from bioware with the upcoming dragon age dreadwolf expected maybe a year from now uh and then eventually the next mass effect game which they've made a pretty big deal of that they're making again and so i hope that this is a good sign my guess is that it's going to be kind of a ea sports supports the entire publisher and then they hope that games like um you know from the ea entertainment brand you know can also do their part um, you've even seen, uh, you know, the, the EA Originals, I believe is what it's called, is kind of their third party publishing where they've done games like It Takes Two, which was game of the year, uh, at least for Keeley's show, uh, you know, not too long ago. And uh, but it was kind of an indie game uh, by Joseph Ferris and his studio. Well, now they're putting out a game, this uh, this Avium game that is like a magic Call of Duty. It's a bunch of former Call of Duty devs. And, you know, we're seeing that they um, will likely um, be going towards doing like third party publishing for AAA games. This this Avium game does not appear to be a third, you know, like an indie game or like a double A game, uh, as some people like to call them. And so I'm hopeful for this. I'm really hoping that this means that they really are dedicating all in on these single player games and getting back to those experiences. I'm hoping that means that maybe they're going to really go all in on getting, you know, Dragon Age Dreadwolf out on getting the next Mass Effect developed and pushed out as well. So, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, story number two is that we got new Starfield details from the kind of funny X cast. Uh, that's a podcast that primarily focuses on Xbox topics. Um, by uh, it's a, a fellow named Snowbike Mike, uh, Paris Lily, and Gary Witta. Uh, they had Todd Howard on their show this week, and it was interesting. Um, I think uh, there wasn't anything like jaw dropping that came out during this. I have to imagine that they are really putting uh, the kibosh on trying to drop anything too big because this game is only like what two and a half months away at this point, and they've you know as much as we know about starfield there's probably 10 times more we don't know and they've kept the story pretty much under wraps and even during this interview there are multiple questions like you know whether or not there would be black holes uh and todd steered completely away from it had you could tell he had zero desire to talk about that so uh you know maybe he's just being coy maybe it's not in there at all or maybe you know he doesn't want to give away some cool plot point in the game uh, but he did talk about a lot. So uh, we, he did deny that there's any fishing games uh, in, in the game, which was a real bummer to Gary Witta. Um, he talked about how uh, the impression now is that about 10% of the planets will have like flora and fauna and that about 90% of them will just be basically resource hubs. Um, this set some people off. It was a real weird conversation because you could definitely tell where people stood in that, whether they focused on the fact that 900 planets will be relatively not that exciting uh, and mostly just used for resource gathering. Uh, but you saw people ignoring that 100 planets will have, you know, flora and fauna, animals, plants will have like, will be populated in some capacity. Like, that's crazy. That's so many planets. And so, you know, maybe for the eternal optimist or the Xbox fanboy uh, in, in, in my in my heart, um, I thought that was an awesome thing. That sounds really, really cool. Uh, they asked about being able to be like a space pirate and having the freedom to do that kind of stuff. And Todd pointed out that literally one of the factions that you interact with is a pirate faction. And so you'll either get to be friendly with them or not. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll see how that plays out. Probably much like the factions in some of the other games. 
And so, you know, from this interview, I just, they seem confident and, and that's exciting. Now, you know, a, a, a developer and especially someone in Todd's situation will always be positive about their studio and their product and all that. But this is one that really feels like uh, it, you know, is, is it's just set to go that we're, you know, it's going to come out. It's going to be what it is. And, you know, in his own words, he talked about how, and they all talked about how people still play Skyrim. People still play fallout four people still play fallout three, you know, uh, and people are playing fallout 76, even though it had such a rough launch, but I believe has turned into a pretty solid game. And so, you know, these, I really think so many people are really sitting on and not realizing how big of a deal this game is going to be because Bethesda always makes spectacles and maybe they're buggy and maybe they're imperfect and maybe their graphics aren't the best and the animations and their combat, which all of those things seem to be significantly improved compared to their prior, uh, you know, attempts people still love the games because at the heart, the freedom to do things and the discovery and uh, the, the various situations and ways of dealing with things and all of that, just, you know, there's no other developer that does it as well. And so I'm really excited to see their rendition of a space game. I think for someone like me and a lot of other people who are in a, um, a holding pattern waiting for this next mass effect game to come out, uh, which is probably still two or three years away at best. Uh, I think this is going to be a game that hopefully for many of us will kind of, um, you know, hold the line until we're able to, uh, you know, get get back to uh, some of those games and in, in the worlds and stuff that uh, that, that we want to get back to. So, um, you know, this interview, again, I suggest you go you know watch it yourself. I I think it was um, was really good. Uh, Snowbike Mike and that whole crew does a good job with interviews and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't think they necessarily, you know, put, you know, their boot on the back of anyone's neck and, and try to get real hardcore info about stuff. But um, I, I think they do a good job and they get good info. And, and you know, Todd's obviously probably doing the rounds right now. So, um, you know, he'll be doing that until this game comes out. So I'm excited for Starfield. I can't wait to play it. And uh, I hope you are in a similar boat. Third story uh, is... The FTC versus Microsoft hearings are ongoing. So this, I think, actually was kind of a surprise with how this timed out. Um, I believe these hearings and the FTC's ruling on the uh, the merger or the acquisition of Activision was supposed to take place later this year. Uh, but it's uh, the rumor is, or at least the story that I've read, is that there was some hint that as of, I think, today, I'm recording this on Friday, uh, the 23rd, there was some rumor or concern that Microsoft and Activision were planning on just going through and finalizing their deal, um, kind of assuming they were going to have to figure out the stuff in the UK and kind of, you know, just assuming they were going to get through the FTC no matter what they did. So the FTC filed for like an injunction to stop them from doing that. And now this, you know, the last couple of days of this week, they've been going in to do, you know, what we are all kind of curious to see them do and, and go into court and have the FTC's lawyers um, basically bring in people from Xbox and from Activision and from PlayStation and from all of these different uh, in, uh, interested people, even like uh, I believe there's NVIDIA reps coming and, and do and, and all of that. And um, it's it's been very interesting. There's uh, just like the other hearings, like that, what happened with the CMA and stuff like that. There's a bunch of these little details and and these little tidbits coming out about uh, all these little emails sent. There's uh, one of the stories was that um, Jim Ryan, who's the head of PlayStation, uh, basically when this this deal initially got announced, basically emailed his bosses and was like, eh, they you know this isn't that big of a deal. We'll, we're sure that they're going to leave us with uh with call of duty it's not like we're gonna lose that uh you know this is them just tr trying to acquire ip rather than uh, really you know trying to completely push us out and even to the point i believe of saying something like and i think we're gonna be better off than ever obviously jim ryan's uh 
you know, attitude has changed since then. And he's uh, really been, you know, beating on the drums, acting like this is uh, the end of the world if this deal goes through. And so I think that's been interesting. Um, There's been some really interesting conversations where you can tell the FTC's lawyers don't really understand the gaming industry and probably weren't briefed as well as maybe they could have been because some of the questions they've been asking um, have basically just been slam dunks for especially the, you know, Phil Spencer and, um, and, and stuff like that, because they've basically just been saying things that are silly. And they're in, and the, the funny thing is, is that I believe there was even one instance where uh, the FTC's attorney said something and Phil Spencer replied, well, like he gave his answer. And like, I guess like audibly in the room, it was reported that like people went like, oof, <laughs> like, because the FTC was so out of touch. And so it is one of those things where, like, if you ever watch any, like, American congressional hearings where Congress will bring in, like, Mark Zuckerberg or bring in some engineers or something who are working on, you know, uh, you know some technology like AI or something. And, you know, you'll, you'll see these experts explaining stuff to Congress and you have a bunch of these, like, 85-year-old plus people like staring at them and they just have no idea. Famously years ago, uh, they, they had someone come in, I believe it was Google maybe, uh, to explain their search engine. And there were issues with Google having like a monopoly. And I believe one of the senators said something like, well, my understanding is that the internet is like a series of tubes. And, and now the funny thing is they got panned really hard because it was like a stupid thing to say. The thing is that if you wanted to try to tell people about the internet who aren't very tech savvy it's actually you could do it like that but regardless um this this whole thing's been interesting you can tell that the ftc is kind of out of touch and doesn't fully i mean their case this entire time has been talked about like it seems like it's pretty weak that um that they are really focused on things that aren't really about competitiveness and they really seem to focus on things that um like whether or not call of duty will be made exclusive um the big thing this week has been talking about how uh, bethesda zenimax games that were going to be potentially exclusive which supposedly it sounds like starfield was maybe going to be a playstation exclusive game uh, or even a game like the indiana jones game uh, that's being made was initially supposed to be multi-platform and then after the acquisition became uh you know a first party exclusive um they've been trying to be like you know, well you did that with bethesda zenimax how do we know you won't change your mind about Uh, Activision Blizzard and the point that's been kind of made is that every single Bethesda Zenimax game that had deals written to be on PlayStation happened they didn't forfeit any of those deals that all went through but you know the games that didn't have those agreements set up yet aren't going to go that way and that's fine that's what was expected that's what was expected and the same thing will happen with Call of Duty on the stand I believe Phil Spencer said you know, we will not take away Call of Duty from the PlayStation 5. Now, people pointed out that out as some sneaky language because, uh, you know, what about the PlayStation 6? And, you know, we'll, we'll have to hash that out as, as time goes and, and we can see uh, how that plays out. But it's I, I expect the FTC to not be successful here. Um, I think that they'll begrudgingly approve the deal. And then it's just down to the CMA in, in the United Kingdom. And, and I believe that... Um, you know, that whole thing is, uh, the, the appeal, uh, is coming up fairly soon, uh, to figure that whole situation out. Um, and the, uh, the impression I'm under is that especially if the FTC even begrudgingly approves the deal, I'm, it sounds like uh, Xbox is going to push it through, but it's going to happen. Uh, and if the CMA doesn't budge that there's a potential that, you know, Microsoft may just set it up where in the United Kingdom, Activision and, um, Microsoft are run as two separate companies. There's also a possibility of uh, Microsoft working with a third-party publisher to publish Activision, Blizzard, King games. So like a Embracer group or another, you know, maybe like even an Ubisoft potentially could be the publisher for Acti- for ABK games in England uh, or in the United Kingdom specifically. Uh, it's kind of an interesting situation there. Um 
it, it, it's going to happen. I think this is pretty much over. I'm really curious to how it plays out. Uh, and you know, they've already, there's already been talk that, you know, Xbox may not be done acquiring. I'm sure PlayStation's going to continue their acquisitions and deals. Um, I still think that, you know, Square Enix is at least very likely, um, to go to PlayStation still. Um, I would be really curious to, if we ever would see maybe not a full acquisition, but like a serious partnership between say like an Xbox and an EA or an Xbox and an Ubisoft. Um, it, the, the interesting thing about the Embracer group, we talked about it last week, but like the Embracer group is like cutting back and they're probably going to cut a bunch of their studios and you very well could see the Embracer group fall apart. And this like what, like 30 or 40 studios they have suddenly be a bunch of indie studios or studios looking for a publisher. And so you could see Xbox, you could see PlayStation, you can maybe see Nintendo or EA or Ubisoft or the Embracer, well, not the Embracer group, they'd be falling apart, but you could see all of these publishers being in play and maybe some of those studios would just go straight indie, but we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. So the, uh, the, the Xbox ABK acquisition drama continues. And I suspect that, uh, it, it will probably be playing out through the rest of this year. So hold on to your butts. Final Fantasy 16 release impressions. This is story number four. Uh, Final Fantasy 16 has released with a Metacritic score of 88. Pretty dang good. This game's been really interesting to follow a lot of the conversation around because it seems like people who are not interested in Final Fantasy at all aren't super hyped about it. And it seems like super, super, super serious Final Fantasy fans who miss like the turn-based uh, combat and stuff like that aren't stoked either because it's you know it's become a very streamlined game. Uh, you know, you know, the the streamlined is maybe the nice way to say it. You know, I've seen people describing it other ways that aren't so kind, but um, it seems like the majority of people enjoy it. Uh, it has close to a 90 Metacritic score. I believe it's like 95% of, re of reviewers recommend people play the game. It seems great. Uh, it's super successful. It thinks it looks like it's going to be another contender for game of the year. I really, really doubt this one wins any of the big, you know, game of the year awards, but I'm sure it, it'll get some nods from some people. The big hit against it, at least as I observe, I don't have a PlayStation. I can't play it. My thing with it is that it seems like kind of like what I said before, you kind of need to be a Final Fantasy person to get into this. I've watched a bunch of streams on it. I've watched a bunch of reviews and like it has good animations. Most of the graphics are really good, even though some of them are surprisingly bad and it's interesting, but the production is super good. Um, it seems like the story is really good up to a point and then maybe falls off depending on your take on it. Um, the combat seems like it's a lot of fun and it's very beautiful to watch. It's extremely visually impressive. And then it just seems like a lot of people are just kind of unhappy with like the loot system and stuff like that. In an RPG, you kind of expect some of those systems where like on skill ups review, I saw him talking about how, you know, you get like a belt or something that you can put on and the bonus it gives your character is equal to like one percent of that stat and so like you know like that doesn't matter like that's unnoticeable um it's so small and so it, it's really interesting it seems like one of those games that um has been hyped up pretty big and that people have gotten really into and that you know maybe it isn't like the perfect game some people are kind of playing it off as um you know i saw uh, like like uh, tim gettys on kind of funny was like this may be the best game i've ever played and like so tim is known as like the hype man at kind of funny um maybe not the most analytical reviewer that they have and you know i think like three times this year has been like this is the best game i've ever played but that still means that he played it and had a great freaking time and that's great that's really cool um, I will say from what I've watched, it's like very cheesy and it, it and I know that like that's like Final Fantasy's thing. Like it's kind of silly and even like this game that is taking like a more like serious aesthetic and, and, and kind of um look and even the feel and the dialogue is supposed to be like they curse and they're banging and stuff like that. It's still like it just comes off like really cheesy to me. And then you have like 
a like semi love interest who looks like a child. And this is, that's like weird, like, you know, just kind of stuff for that genre. Um, and so like, it has things that like, to me, I probably wouldn't play it even if I had a PlayStation, unless someone wanted to give me a code, I would be all over that. But it's, uh, it's obviously a great game and people are loving it. And I'm really, uh, I'm happy for them. And I'm, I'm, pretty confident we'll see this game mentioned in a lot or maybe all of the game of the year talk i doubt we're gonna see it win many awards i still think tears of the kingdom has most awards locked up you'll see some people argue for survivor diablo um starfield almost certainly maybe spider-man 2 even though i kind of doubt that one uh and maybe there's other games coming that i'm just forgetting off the top of my head but it's uh it's gonna be an interesting uh, end of the year is what is what I'll say. Uh, Diablo four is our uh, what, fifth story here, and I haven't finished it yet. And so I wanted to wait to give my like final impressions of Diablo four until I finished. And it's just it's going to happen. It's just probably not soon. I'm, uh, I got to the second to last boss only to realize that I hadn't um, basically done any of the legwork to um, get extra healing potions and things like that. And I, um, you know, I, I, I needed them. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't going great. Um, uh, at the time, uh, when I was trying, uh, to, to finish the boss and, um, and yeah, so I need to do some, some, uh, grinding, uh, to make that work. Uh, but before I can finish the game, which I'm currently in the process of doing, I, um, I really like the game. Um, I've played 60 plus hours of it now. I will say that once I finish the game, I think I'll dabble a little bit into some of the end game stuff. I think I will, I, I think I may, you know, check out a couple of the other classes and I may dabble in some of the seasonal content. But I'm going to be honest, I'm kind of over it. I, I've really enjoyed it. It's super fun to play. Uh, it's been a blast. I'm good. I've gotten my fill. You know, it's a game that I would love to come back to later, but I'm ready to grind me some battle pass. I'm ready for Starfield to come out. I'm ready to play some Division 2 content as it drops. Uh, so, yeah, so my time with Diablo 4 is probably short. Uh, you know, I, I, I wish I would have maybe learn more about the game before I got as into it. Maybe I would have had a better experience, uh, but I would still give it like an eight out of 10. Like it's been, it, it's just, it's a very satisfying game to play. And you know, I know that there's complaints about um, the, the auto leveling system and stuff with like the enemies where they, you know, always level up to you essentially and, and things like that. I get, you know, the issues with that. Um, I personally don't hate it, but I understand why some people don't like it. Um, you know, some of the gear and the stats and stuff have been kind of, you know, dumbed down. It's a similar complaint as Final Fantasy. Um, I get it all. I just kind of am not worried about it. I think it's a ton of fun. So that's where I'm at with that. Hopefully I'll finish it this week. Uh, next story, uh, David Gator, a uh, former Bioware writer who wrote on all of the Dragon Age games, uh, spoke on a magic problem in games. So there's an article this week where he basically talked about how a big issue with games that involve like some type of magic. So even if you're talking about, you know, Dragon Age, it's obviously the literal magic. Uh, in Mass Effect, it's, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the Ezo and, and, and the elements that they use to do some of their like biotic powers and things like that. Um, and like in the division say it's the shade tech that, you know, has like borderline magical qualities. Um, the, and he, he spoke basically on how the issue with these is that they, they, they allow for gamification of games, but often, uh, developers or writers or whoever can get a little loose or, you know, dare I say lazy and kind of allow these elements to end up doing everything. And so like Mass Effect is a good one where it's like, you know, literally it gets to the point where 
at the end of the game, you know, that you know, these elements can, in theory, destroy this entire race of sentient synthetics that are trying to wipe out organics, you know, and uh, and, and it, it kind of becomes like a cop out a little bit. And, and I actually don't think that they're wrong. Um, I've actually taken issue with some of David's statements in the past, because in my opinion, he has a pretty obvious anti-Mass Effect take. Um, you can tell that there was probably some internal rivalry in Bioware uh, with him being a uh, Dragon Age only writer. Um, he's made statements before about how you know Dragon Age is actually the more successful uh, IP and stuff, even though I believe all numbers indicate that that's like completely false. Um, but you know, um, but I think he has a good point here. And, and I am curious to how games handle that moving forward and that you know, it is cool to introduce these elements that allow some type of quote unquote magic. Uh, but, you, you know, you don't want to see these games lean on it too much, uh, you know, for the sake of like ignoring, you know, like good storytelling. OK, the next story is a quick discussion about my current game of the year. So I mentioned this before with Final Fantasy and um, it's tough for me. So, like, if I had to narrow it down. Of all the games I've played this year, um, Jedi Survivor was like my favorite story. Um, Planet of Lana was my favorite, just like experience. And Diablo 4 would be like the best game I've played this year is how I would kind of do it. So if I had to pick one of them, it's funny. I want to pick Planet of Lana, um, but it was a really short kind of shallow experience. And so I think I'd have to pick Jedi Survivor. I have really, really enjoyed Diablo 4, and it's a close number two for me, probably. But it's hard to deny Survivor. That was the comp. Just everything about that game is fun, even despite the issues with performance and things like that. I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with saying that so far this year, Jedi Survivor is it. You know, it does look good in its moments. It's fun to play. The platforming is amazing. The story is insane. Uh, even some of the side content, like the bounties and the culmination of that is really, really great. And so, yeah, for so far, it's Jedi Survivor. Now, that uh, leaves, uh, you know, Starfield. And for all intents and purposes, I'm assuming Starfield will be my game of the year this year. It seems like basically a lock for me. I would be amazed if it um, doesn't achieve that. Even if it's like decent, it's probably gonna be my game of the year. Um, both from anticipation to just scale. And I just really love Bethesda's games. Um, I was kind of hoping that maybe Mobile 2 would come out this year, but it's coming out next year. And I know that there's games like um, like Spider-Man 2. I don't, have a, I don't have a PlayStation yet. And so, and even that game doesn't look super appealing to me. I think it looks, a lot like the first game, um, but you know, it's gameplay is king and, and I know people really enjoy that from it. So I suspect it will do really well. It'll be on some people's list, but to me, Starfield is it. Um, and, and I really, I just really hope that Starfield at least makes people who have already like anointed tears of the kingdom. I really hope it, it at least like makes people think twice. Um, my concern is that so many people have played Tears or are still playing Tears and they're going to be burnt out even by the time that uh, Starfield comes out and they're just not going to be in the mood for another 100 hour experience. And so I'm a little worried that that may hurt it, uh, but we'll see. I, I, I'm, you know, game of the year is such a subjective thing and uh, it, it's really just for bragging rights in many ways. And I think people get a little too caught up in it, including, you know, pointing at me myself gets a little too worried about it. But um, regardless, I think this is a good year for games and I'm really excited. Maybe something will surprise me that I haven't thought of, you know, maybe like the Forza Motorsport will end up being one of the best you know racing games I've ever played. So we'll see. Uh, the next story is just talking about Mass Effect. So I make Mass Effect videos almost every week. Um, even this week I had two that I really, really am proud of. And they've done very well numbers wise um, for me. And um, first I want to talk about the trilogy. Um, so since the limited or the legendary edition came out back in 2021, I believe in May or March, I think it was March. I believe I've played through the trilogy around 19 times, or I'm on my 18th or 19th playthrough. Um, 
in that mix, I've played through Andromeda like two and a half times, and I've caught myself being a little burned out. Now I've mixed it up by doing playthroughs of like each class, uh, by doing Renegade and Paragon, by romancing different people. Like my current playthrough, I'm in Mass Effect 3, and I'm doing like a human-centric playthrough. So I only use human companions. I will only romance other humans. Um, it's, uh, you know, I found ways to mix it up and there's still actually things I want to do. And I'm sure I'm going to keep playing Mass Effect over the next few years, but I definitely have caught myself slowing down because I've definitely caught myself not wanting to, uh, get completely burned out on it and to want to continue making content and stuff for it. Uh, but yeah, probably going to slow down a little. I will probably make it my stream game in a lot of ways, unless there's like specific games I really want to play on stream. Um, and, and that can be kind of the way that I enjoy that experience is by streaming it and maybe not playing it so much in my own time. Um, now, the excitement about the next game. Uh, for me, it's still at an all time high. Um, I, I have, you know, acknowledged that we probably aren't getting any new info until in seven day, uh, you know, after the E3 period has passed uh and we thought maybe we would get something during that um but that didn't happen and that's fine it's understandable you know expecting the big info drops about mass effect before dreadwolf even releases is probably a little too hopeful and so i i think uh you know we're kind of in a holding pattern until we um and, and until that game comes out and then maybe we can start expecting uh more updates now, um, when it comes to doing speculation and interviews and all of that, I've got some interview uh, conversations going on right now that are like related to Mass Effect. Um, I still have a bunch of ideas for videos to make about it. Uh, I plan on doing a huge giveaway around in seven day this year. I've got like $300 of Bioware store credit to use, so I'm going to blow it up and probably do a bunch of... I, I can't decide if I want to do a few expensive items or a bunch of cheap stuff. We'll see. Uh, I'll probably be asking for your feedback on that. And I'm excited. I, I think with as much info as we got two years ago and then even more info last year, I suspect we'll, we'll have a big blowout of info this year. I still think that that game is two, three, maybe four years away. Like that's the problem is that you're kind of in that conundrum of like, it seems like they've had a lot to tease us with, but that doesn't really mean the game is coming anytime soon. So we'll keep it in check, but we'll keep talking about Mass Effect. Quick story here. The ESA has canceled the next two years of their LA Convention Center lease. And so the LA, like, um, oh, like it's one of their boards that talk like tourism and stuff like that announced that the ESA, I believe, has opted out of the next two years of renting out the LA Convention Center. Uh, this is where E3 was traditionally held. And this seems like a sign that maybe E3 really isn't ever coming back, which I think people have been predicting. My take on it is that I actually believe it may not be that severe. I think E3 will, maybe the ESA will try to do something next year. Maybe not as big and as grand as something that would take place in this convention center. Um, you could see maybe them try to work back up to that kind of a situation rather than just dive right back in, even if they don't have a bunch of big players. And so, um, you know, I'm always going to be, you know, I'm always going to hope E3 will come back. I think Jeff Keighley's shows have really disappointed and I, and I don't think that, you know, his summer game fest or his opening night live for Gamescom or even his game awards, which are probably his best production. I just don't think any of them really, really capture or really fulfill what people enjoyed about E3 and stuff like that. And all of the different showcases by all the different publishers, just, it just doesn't feel good to me still. And, and I, I'm still pulling for, for uh, E3, not for the ESA, the ESA sucks, but for E3, I will still pull for it and hope that maybe, uh, it will return, uh, in some capacity one day. Uh, Escape from Tarkov has popped back up in the news for me. I, uh, they, they have a new wipe coming where they're going to reset the game and introduce a bunch of new stuff. 
Uh, I've, you know, I get the hankering about twice a year whenever they do a wipe to jump in and play for at least a few weeks, which I am feeling already. They did do something weird today where um, everyone is expecting a wipe in the next couple weeks. Um, and they put out a big statement today uh, calling data miners uh, what they do illegal. Now, um, you know, data mining is where you look through the files of a game to try to look for, you know, depending on the game, like say the, the, the division. Um, people in the division two have data mined the files to find out who like future targets and future story beats. And even to the point, like some like future story audio and stuff, uh, which, you know, is spoilers, but is also kind of fun. Um, for Tarkov, what people have done with data mining is mostly figured out like when they change various stats uh, and, and mechanics in the game, when they change spawn rates of bosses and high value targets and loot and things like that. Now, for the players, this is a big help because it helps people know like where to go on certain maps to get certain things um, for quests and things like that. Obviously, Battlestate Games, the developer of Tarkov, hates this because they want this stuff to all be a mystery, even including like weapon stats and behaviors and movement stats and loot and bosses and all of that. Ideally, it would all be a mystery so people would have to figure it out uh, and wouldn't just have the answer in code. And so I guess there's a big revolt uh, <laughs> against these data miners, and there's a few of them who are really well known in that community. And to the point where supposedly they're going to be like banned and stuff like that. It's a pretty bad move from Battle State Games, in my opinion. They are already uh, have a bunch of accusations of shady behavior. Their game is very unique and a lot of fun, but also kind of a crap show. Uh, and so people are kind of joking about how like they're they, you know they're they're probably focusing more on data miners than they are cheaters. And cheaters are a gigantic issue in the game because if you cheat in the game, you can make lots and lots of money because of some nefarious ways of doing that. So. I'm still excited to jump in when they do a wipe and play it. I, I, I want to stream it. I want to get into it. I want this game to improve. Um, I've always kind of seen this game as a little scammy, but because no one else really does it uh, in, in any way that's as good, it's kind of hard to go away from it. It does have, in my opinion, some of the best gunplay of a game I've ever played and the movement mechanics and all of the things you know, in a, in a lot of ways, it's kind of an RPG game uh, that at least under the under the surface it is. And uh, it's just it's a it's a it's a unique experience. Um, and and even with all of the crap that comes along with being a fan of of, of Tarkov, uh, it always gets you to come back at least a little bit. OK, um, so for some content updates. Uh, the last two stories here, um, uh, YouTube partnership has changed. So they now have two tiers of YouTube partnership. If you've been paying attention to my YouTube, you can find it. It's just Bond Diesel. It should be linked in the description. What you will find uh, is that you needed 4,000 hours viewed in the last 365 days. And that's a rolling number. Uh, and you need at least 1,000 subs. So I have around 2,000 subs. And... Uh, back in March, I think I had like 1400 hours viewed in the previous year. I'm now at 3,200 something. We're getting close to 4,000. I'm super happy. I feel like my content has gotten a lot better. Um, and I've just appreciated people watching the videos and getting into it. You know, we're creeping towards that 4,000. An announcement they made this week is that in July, they're going to roll out like a lower tier of partnership, which will only require 500 subs and 3000 hours, which I will immediately qualify for. The big difference between the 3000 and 4000 tier is that the 4000 gets ad revenue from videos and shorts and the lower tier doesn't, but it gets uh, emotes on live streams. It gets like super chats and things like that. It gets memberships. So if you want to support my content, you can do it through YouTube soon as a member. I'll set that stuff all up. I'll make sure the emotes are there and all of that stuff with live streaming. We'll see. I did some multi streaming for a while and I really didn't enjoy it. It felt kind of disjointed. Um, but the way I was doing it is I was essentially running two separate streams for my computer. Um, and it was just too much because multi streaming capability, you have to pay for it. But Thanks to the people who listen to this show. And if you're interested in supporting, please check it out at patreon.com slash bond diesel. 
but I have enough patrons now. We have seven and I'm getting enough money every month that I can use that money, or at least some of it, and pay for a monthly subscription to Streamlabs and have multi-streaming as well as a bunch of other really cool tools that I can use to maybe put out some more content. And so be on the lookout for that. I will probably at least try the multi-streaming. We'll see if I stick with it. Um, I, I think if I do it where I'm still focused on Twitch, but YouTube is there for people who want to be there and it can kind of seamlessly come together, which will be easier doing the multi-streaming stuff. It should be fun and it should be cool. So uh, be on the lookout for that. I will um, let you guys all know when I do finally get partnered, which hopefully happens here soon. Uh, and thanks to all of you who have watched any of my videos because you've helped. And that's super cool. After like almost like, like six years of doing content, I finally hit something that a lot of people do in the first couple months. But that's fine. You know, it's not about how fast you get there. It's about the journey or something. Uh, and the last update here is that uh, this is episode 242. Uh, episode 250 is coming up. I would like to try to have some interviews uh, posted around that time as kind of a celebration. Um, but if you have any ideas what I can do for the 250th episode, uh, feel free to let me know. I'm uh, all ears. You can do it in the Google form I have linked, uh, or you can post in the Discord, YouTube comments. You can hit me up on Twitter. You know, let me know. Uh, but I'm really excited. This this podcast is really um, special to me. Uh, it's been going on for a long time. It's evolved a lot. I think it's in a pretty good spot right now. Um, but solo podcasts aren't exactly the most uh, popular thing in the world, which I understand. Uh, our, our, our listenership is slowly growing, but it's a bit plateaued. And, and that's fine. I'm happy with it. I feel like things are going okay. I feel like once Starfield comes out, once more division stuff happens, once the mass mass effect stuff happens, I can kind of maybe evolve the podcast a little to go along with those trends and, and maybe take advantage of that. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I think it's always going to be a general gaming podcast, but I may lean more into specializing, uh, as those opportunities come up. So we'll see. Thank you very much. I appreciate you listening. Uh, as for listener questions, if you have your own questions for next week's show, uh, there's a Google form questionnaire that you can find on uh, the AccoCast Twitter uh, that you can find in my Discord. Uh, there should be a link you know, somewhere uh, accessible, especially on Twitter. Um, you can ask on there. You can ask in my Discord server, which there is a link to in the description. Uh, you can hit me up in the YouTube comments. You can hit me up on Twitter, at Bondiesel, or at the AccoCast. This week, we have a question from YouTubes, and they say, uh, what are the biggest plot holes, story flaws, or otherwise nonsensical moments in your favorite games that you love because of what it allowed the game to do? So I'm going to be totally honest. I had to find some assistance to get this question answered, uh, but I did find some good ones. So at the end of Fallout 3, you sacrifice yourself for some reason, and now they ended up doing like different endings, and there is a way that you can in the game and continue playing. But I remember being like, you didn't have to do this, but who cares because Fallout 3 is so good and the journey is so awesome. And, and it's why I'm excited about Starfield because of the moments that you experience in these Bethesda games. So the self-sacrifice thing at the end is real dumb, doesn't make hardly any sense, but you know, we deal with it. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 4, Raiden has lightning powers for some reason. It was never really explained. He it's just some anime crap, but who cares? Because Raiden is so dope in that game is so cool in that game. Obviously, Solid Snake is a BA as well, but especially Raiden is so fun in all of the cutscenes and stuff in that game. I can live with it. Pretty dope. Uh, bring up Fallout again. Dance being a synth. Sorry if this is spoilers, but it's been out for a while. That always to me was like. This makes no sense. Like why? Like, like it was a fun, like reveal, but I will always remember being like, this makes no sense. How could the brotherhood of steel not like know this and stuff, but that game is so cool and has so many fun secrets. And again is why I'm so excited about Starfield that I'm willing to just turn my head and move on with it because it's still a really cool game. Uh, the Walking Dead uh, Telltale uh, game, the very first one where 
they, they, the villain is this guy who kidnaps Clem, who's the little girl. And you play as this man who is, you know, protecting her. And then you play as Clem in the, in the following games. Um, but like the fact that they had that, they felt like they needed to like add this, like pedophile or whatever he was, this villain to this game was like really weird and never really made sense. And, and I honestly felt like kind of a weird ending to that game. Now it's not the true ending. You have some, you know, other endings to that game that are like made me ball like a baby and are so good. And that's why I can get past the weird villain arc because of the, the way the rest of that game goes and just that whole series. It's so good. And the last one is our near and dear friend, the Mass Effect 3 ending, with the fact that they like abandoned Shepard. Uh, the, the Reapers basically seem like they don't even try to keep the Citadel from getting used against themselves and the Star Child, which everyone hates. Um, you know, Mass Effect 3 is my favorite game in the whole series, uh, despite its major issues. And uh, as I always say on uh, on the Mass Effect subreddit and other places, the endings are fine if you just pick the good one, which is Destroy. Uh, there's also the point of Mass Effect 2 of why they had to kill off Shepard and then bring him back. Like, they could have probably fairly easily put Shepard down this arc of working with Cerberus or, or whatever without, like, literally murdering them and eviscerating their body and then miraculously bringing them back. Especially because now it sets the expectation that, in theory, no one in Mass Effect has to die. That, you know, every single person who's died in that series, in theory, could live again simply because of the way that they handled Shepard and Mass Effect 2. So uh, there's my answers. Uh, thank you so much for the question, YouTubes. If you have your own questions for next week or if you have feedback or topics or anything, even video proposals you want, please hit up the Google form that I have in the Discord and on the at the EchoCast uh, Twitter page. Okay, let's wrap this baby up. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this was a fun episode to record. I really appreciate doing uh, you listening and uh, to the show as we approach the 250th episode. Uh, please hit me up with any kind of feedback, suggestions, questions you want me to answer, any of that stuff. I'm happy to hear it. Um, I do want to continue making this podcast bigger. Uh, I'm also pretty happy with where it's at. So. I'm good either way, but together I think we can uh, make this an even bigger deal. You can find me all over the internet as Bond Diesel on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, and over on Twitch where I am trying to stream a few times a week. It's a little hard over the summer with uh, the wife and the kid home, uh, but we will figure it out. That's all I have for this episode. Until next time. I'm going to